Addison is on the air. Do you love old-time radio? Yes! You know absolutely nothing about old-time radio. Also yes. Then Madison on the Air is for you. Follow Madison, a modern-day makeup influencer, as she zapped back into the golden age of radio. Every episode is standalone with a wide variety of genres to choose from, like detective noir. You put the dick in private dick. Superheroes. So I am in the body of the Green Hornet. Westerns. Saloon fight. Now this is a Western. Sci-fi. Dude, the Martian's got a freaking heat ray. Plus classic characters. Toto. Oh, I gotta get that dog into an obedience class. Really digging Dracula's OG goth style. <gasps> what if I killed freaking Sherlock Holmes? And many more. Actual old-time radio scripts adapted. It's like if the MST3K riff tracks guys were in the movies they riff. Start at the beginning or jump around to any title that grabs you. New episodes premiere the first of every month. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Audio Mystery Theater presents The Devil You Don't A Felix Stone Mystery With David Alt as Felix and Andrea Richardson as Joni Episode 1 I must say, I think I'm rather good at painting. I knew this colour would look good on the walls. What do you think, Felix? Felix? Felix, what in heaven's name are you doing? What? What are you doing standing there by the window? Why aren't you helping me with the redecoration? That boy's making eyes at me. What boy? There's a young man sitting by the window in the building opposite. He hasn't stopped staring at me for the last ten minutes. I think he's making eyes at me. Oh, for heaven's sake, Felix. Have you no shame? But why else is he looking at me? Why do you think he's looking at you? You're standing there half naked with a cup of coffee in your hand. Can't you at least get dressed while I'm in the office? All right, all right. I can't believe you've been standing there flirting all this time while I'm doing all the work. I wasn't flirting. I'm paid to be your secretary, not your decorator. There's no other work for you to do. Isn't it about time you got yourself a flat? You can't keep on living in the office. There's no money, honey. Have you at least listed the company in the telephone directory? No. Well, then there'll never be any money. Nobody knows we exist. I don't want people to know we exist. We are a discreet agency. Unknown and inconspicuous. That's the edge we have over our competitors. The sort of people we attract are people who'd never dream of using a detective agency. They come to us precisely because we are unknown and hard to find. But how will they find us if we're not in the directory? They just will. They always do. Ha! And what did I just say? Who is it? A large middle-aged gentleman with a grey Macintosh coat and a black hat. You don't think he's for us, do you? Of course he's for us. Go downstairs and let him in. You'd better pull the pillow and bedsheets off the sofa and tidy this place up. You don't want our clients to know you're sleeping in the office, do you? Yes, ma'am. Mr Stone, this is Mr Carruthers. He is here to talk to you about a potential case. Thank you, Joni. Sit down, Mr Carruthers, and uh, tell me how I can help you. My name is Franklin J. Carruthers. I work at Carruthers White and Dunn. I'm sure you've heard of us. I'm afraid I haven't. That surprises me. We are a very famous and well-established law firm. We represent some of the most powerful and highly regarded businesses in London. The lapels on the man's jacket were frayed. There were black marks on the back of his shirt collar. A button was missing on his waistcoat. His wristwatch showed the wrong time, and a strong smell of whiskey hung around him. 
Was this how successful lawyers looked? One of the clients I represent is Mr. Broderick Grove. I assume you do know him. I'm afraid I don't. Well, then you've clearly never been to America, because if you had, you would undoubtedly have got there by using one of Mr. Grove's vessels. Mr. Grove is the owner of the Blue Line Shipping Company. Ah, yes. And what do you want from me? Mr. Grove has a son, a twenty-one-year-old rascal by the name of Jonty. He is to inherit his father's company, but right now he is still at that stage where he is preoccupied with sowing his wild oats. You'll have read all about Jonty in the society papers, I'm sure. He is constantly being followed by reporters who publish every single sordid act he gets up to, much to his father's despair. I don't read the society papers. Well, boys will be boys, and Jonty will grow up some day, or at least so my client hopes. He started teaching the boy the ropes, but an issue has arisen, and that's where we need your assistance. You see, the boy has gone missing. Missing? Yes, they had an argument, a violent row during which many hurtful things were said, and after that the boy vanished. He's always been a rash and hot-headed boy. Left the house without a penny in his pocket and hasn't been seen since. And what was the argument about, if I may ask? <laughs> Jonty is engaged. His father has arranged for him to marry Madeline de Costa. I suppose you haven't heard of her either. <laughs> Afraid not. She is a famous fashion designer, daughter of a business associate of Mr. Groves, Rodrigo de Costa, the Brazilian sugar magnate. Crystal sugar. Yes. Finally, someone you've heard of. I drink his product in my coffee every day. Jonty has known Madeline all his life. They grew up together, and as far as I knew, they always got on well. But I suppose that Jonty thinks he's too young to be tied down, or perhaps he has fallen for somebody else. Anyway, what I actually came for, the reason I looked you up, with a great deal of difficulty, I may add, is because we want you to find him. But you must be discreet. We don't want the papers knowing that Jonty has disappeared. That is why we have chosen you for the job. You're an unknown entity. Nobody knows you exist. Why is Jonty's father not talking to me himself? It wouldn't do for Mr. Grove to be seen coming all the way to Spitalfields. It might arise suspicion. Could I speak to him at his office? All communication must go through me. Why? Mr. Grove wants nothing to do with private detectives. He just wants his son to be found. I was used to this kind of attitude. People only turn to private detectives as a last resort. We are witnesses to their desperation. We see them at their lowest ebbs and get to know all their sordid secrets. How much will you pay me? Whatever it takes. Money is seldom an issue for clients. They treat us the same they would a funeral director. We're people they don't want to come to. We conduct a business they don't want conducting, and they'll pay whatever they can to make sure the whole ordeal is concluded as quickly and painlessly as possible. I'll need some money in advance. A missing person's case always carries with it a lot of expenses. I'll write you a check. Tell me what you need. Honestly, Felix, you are truly the most clueless person I have ever known. Everyone's heard of Broderick Grove and that spoiled brat of his, Jonty. How can you not have heard of Madeline de Costa? I have a hat of hers. The little white one with the peacock feathers. I wore it last year in Cannes. Have you been eavesdropping again? And it's a good job I have. However, would you manage without me? What the devil are you doing? I'm looking for stories about Jonty Grove. Where did you get all those papers from? I collect them. What for? I keep them in case we need them for one of our investigations. Aha! There you go. Here's one. 
another day, another party. Is that him? The young man stepping out of a shiny black jaguar holding the hand of a pretty young thing? Yes. And here's another. Blue night for blue line air. And there he is again, sitting on the doorstep of a nightclub, looking a little worse for wear. And there's yet another pretty young thing at his side. When was this picture taken? The papers from the 23rd of July. That's five days before he went missing. Hmm. Handsome young man, isn't he? Oh, will you take your mind out of the gutter, please, Felix, and concentrate on the case? I am. He's wearing an awfully smart suit. A white jacket like Bogart. And is that a suede tie? I can fully understand why he wouldn't want to marry that fashion designer. What do you mean? Oh, surely you see what I see. Look at those cufflinks, and the matching tie clip, and the boutonniere. What about them? Nobody wears those things anymore. You do. Well, that's my point, Joanie dear. John T is a Nancy boy. How can you be so sure? Oh, there's no doubt about it. Look at his immaculately combed hair. Even in this picture where he is supposedly drunk, not one hair out of place. It will have taken a whole morning to stiffen it. Trust me, I know about these things. He's queer, all right. What about all the girls he gets photographed with? They're beards. What? Beards. They're just there to make him look straight. They're most probably diamond dames. They look like it. What in heaven's name are diamond dames? It's an escort agency. Very popular among queer men of a certain stature who need to uh, keep up appearances. How do you know? I've had occasion to make use of them myself once. You? Why on earth would you need a beard? It was a long time ago. I was 21. I had to attend one of my father's parties and at the same time quash a rumour going around society that I was bent. I still cared about what people thought of me then. Society? There's a lot about me that you don't know, Joni. I wasn't always an impoverished private detective. Well, I know you were a police detective before you went private. And before that, I was the spoiled heir of a wealthy aristocrat. But that was before the great scandal and the subsequent disinheritance and estrangement. <laughs> You're having me on, aren't you? I'm not. Well, who's your father? My father is someone I never wish to mention again. I think I like this jaunty grove. He and I seem to have a lot in common. This looks like a good case for me. Where are you going? I'm going to the bank to cash this cheque. I need to know the money is legit before I do any work. Uh, while I'm out, why don't you look up the address of Madeline de Costa's office? What for? I'd like to pay that woman a visit. Find out what she knows about Jonty's true nature. But Carruthers said not to. Carruthers said not to contact Jonty's father. He said nothing about contacting his fiance. I want to speak to somebody other than that lawyer. There's something very off about that man. I don't trust him for a second. Madeline de Costa's office was in one of the grand white buildings on Belgravia Square. As I walked in, a sour-faced receptionist sat at her desk doing her nails. Good morning. What's good about it? I, um, I'm here to see Ms. de Costa. You don't have an appointment? How do you know? Um, no one has an appointment today. See? The diary's empty. We haven't had an appointment for the last few weeks. Would you like to make an appointment? Um, yes, please. When do you want the appointment for? <laughs> now? It is 11.13. Name? Stone. Felix Stone. There's a Felix Stone here to see you, Mr Costa. Yes, he made an appointment just now. Well, the diary was empty, so I thought... I'll send him right up, Mr Costa. 
Mr. Constable will see you now. Top floor, flat number two. The staircase is to your right. Thank you. Oh, and by the way, Mr. Stone, will you do me a favour when you see Mr. Constable? Will you ask when I'm finally getting paid? How much have you been paid? Not for the last three months. We'll be back after a quick break. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings, from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. Interesting. Things don't seem to be going very well for the DaCosta brand. Madeline DaCosta sat at her desk staring idly out of the window. She was a pretty young woman with a round, pale face and thick, dark eyebrows. Sorry to bother you. I can see you're very busy, but I was wondering if you could spare some time to speak to me. Who are you? Felix Stone. I believe the receptionist announced me. I'm sorry, but I have no time for you, Mr Stone. That stupid receptionist had no business sending you up. It won't take long. I'm a private detective. I've been employed by Mr Franklin J Carruthers to find Jonty Grove. Jonty? What's wrong with Jonty? Apparently, he's gone missing. He has? You are unaware of this? Who told you he's gone missing? His father's lawyer, Franklin J. Carruthers. But Mr. Grove's lawyer is James Stapleton Smith. Well, the man who employed me is Franklin J. Carruthers. He said Jonty rushed out of the house three days ago after a flaming argument with his father and hasn't been seen since. Has he indeed? When was the last time you saw Jonty? Well, let me think. Mm, That would have been on Sunday. He came to our house for lunch. That's the day of his disappearance. Did you notice anything unusual about him? No, not at all. He was happy and jovial as usual. This is very odd. Do you know what the argument was about? Well, as a matter of fact, I think it was about you. About me? About your wedding. I see. It appears John T. had a change of heart, which did not go down well with his father. I came here to find out more about this. Were you aware of his doubts about the marriage? No, not at all. The marriage was arranged years ago. We were always meant for each other. It's never occurred to either of us to marry anyone else. How long have you known John T.? We grew up together. Do you love him? Yes, of course I do. I love him dearly. And does he love you? That's rather a personal question, don't you think? Does he? Yes, absolutely. He loves me very much. I think there's been some sort of mistake. Whatever that argument was about, it can't have been about our marriage. There's absolutely nothing wrong between me and Jonty. Perhaps Jonty was having cold feet. But the wedding isn't for another year. The lawyer said that Jonty left the house without a penny in his pocket. Well, I assume he's staying with some friends. Do you know his friends? No. You don't? I know some of his friends, but not all of them. He has his life, I have mine. We're not married yet. What do you think the argument could have been about? I have no idea. Why don't you ask Jonty's father? His lawyer says I'm not to speak to him. Well, I can't help you either, Mr Stone. And do you mind if I smoke? Actually, I do. Well, I'll smoke it quickly then. (coughs) 
You don't seem very concerned about your fiancé's disappearance. I'm not concerned. John T is impetuous and melodramatic. He's stormed out after arguments before. He's probably lying low for a few days, waiting for his anger to recede. I'm sure he'll show up soon. I have something here I'd like your comments on. Have you seen this picture in the newspaper? Of course I have. Where was the picture taken? Looks like one of the Soho clubs to me. Were you there at the time? No. John T is the party animal. I prefer to stay at home. Who is that woman with John T? I have no idea. It looks like his date. In our circles, Mr Stone, it is considered unseemly to attend a party without a date. As I don't much like being in loud, crowded places, Jonty was forced to find an alternative companion. I suspect that woman is one of his many friends. It is of no consequence, Mr Stone, I assure you. And here he is with yet another pretty young woman. Do you know her? No, I don't know her either. I assume she's another of Jonty's friends. He has many female friends. Does he indeed? Yes. Most women would not approve of their fiancés taking out other women to parties. I am not most women. Are you not worried that he might be unfaithful to you with another woman? Absolutely not. Why is that? Because I trust him implicitly. Jonty has no interest in women. I meant other women. I really don't think there's any cause for concern, Mr Stone. Jonty's father overreacted when he hired you. He shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry he's wasted your time. I really can't help you any further and I'd like you to leave now. I have work to do. What was he wearing? What? Jonty, when he left your house after lunch. Well, he was wearing what he usually wears. A tweed sports jacket, I think, and a white shirt and brown trousers. Why do you ask? Because that's what he must have been wearing when he disappeared. It'll be easier to find him if I had a picture of him. Could you draw his clothes for me, please? Draw? You can draw, can't you? You are a fashion designer after all. Of course I can draw. Well, then could you draw what he looked like? I'd like to show the picture to people when I ask them if they've seen him. I told you he was wearing a tweed sports jacket. A perfectly ordinary tweed sports jacket. You know what that looks like, don't you? Could you draw it for me, please? I have no time for this. The sports jacket was beige, the trousers were brown, the shirt was white. You can draw them yourself. Please leave now. I have work to do. Very well. I threw my cigarette stub into the coffee cup on her desk. There was still some coffee in it, but I hadn't realised until it was too late. Thank you for your time. She must be young, aged between 19 and 24. She must have dark hair, a natural brunette, not dyed. I'd like her to have a narrow face and a slightly pinched nose. It's none of your business. Why? It's my particular fancy, that's all. Now, can you provide me with a girl such as that, or do I need to call a different agency? She is to have dinner with me at the Savoy tonight at 8 o'clock. Of course she must dress well. It's the Savoy. Very well. I'll see her tonight. How will she recognise me? Well, you can tell her to look out for a dashingly handsome gentleman sitting alone at a table drinking a Tom Collins. Goodbye. You could have asked me out. I could have done with a nice meal at the Savoy. You're not the mysterious beauty our boy Jonty has been photographed with. And what am I to do while you're out dining at the Savoy? You can stay at home with your flatmate, eat fish and chips and listen to the radio. Where are you off to? I'm off to the barbers. I need to prepare myself for my date tonight. Goodbye. 
My date breezed into the Savoy 15 minutes after the appointed time. She wore a long black dress. Her hair was wrapped into a bun. Her high heels and the way she strode towards my table made this petite woman look much taller. There was something of Audrey Hepburn about her. Everyone stared as she glided past the tables, wondering who could be the lucky man who'd get to dine with her. Then she suddenly stopped at my table. Hello. Are you the bloke I'm meant to be eating with? The illusion was shattered instantly. Diamond Dames was meant to be a classy joint and an expensive one too. This girl had the right look, but her voice sounded like a foghorn. Yes, please sit down. I've uh, taken the liberty of ordering a bottle of champagne. Would you like some? Would I? I loves me a glass of bubbly, so I does. <laughs> I'm not easily embarrassed, but I'd be surprised if people couldn't hear that voice across the river in Camberwell. I discreetly gestured for her to keep it down. Oh, I'm sorry. Me ma's always telling me off for shouting too much. I can't help it. It's me voice. <laughs> what is your name? Laura. Laura Lay. Oh, that's a beautiful name. Thanks. It's not my real name, of course. I'm not allowed to give you my real name. It sounds exotic. Don't it just? Took me ages to come up with. The agency didn't want me using my real name. They said Peggy Sturgeon didn't sound classy enough. But I ain't used to classy names. All the girls I hang around with are called things like Brenda or Polly or Gretchen. So I didn't have a clue what to call myself. But then I saw that film with Jean Turney. She's classy, ain't she? So I decided to call myself Laura. And what about your surname? Well, if you play your cards right, you'll find out after dinner. <clears throat> Have you been in this business long? Not long. You're my third client. The agency's paying for me to take elocution lessons. When I'm done with them, I'll be ready to take on the important customers. <laughs> uh, I mean, I meant politicians and judges and celebrities and people like that. <laughs> You're important too, of course. Of course you are. What was your last client like? Oh, God, a real bore. I hope you ain't going to turn out like him. Took me to a club in Soho. I thought it'd be fun. But was it, heck? He ignored me all night. Only had eyes for the bass player. <laughs> he were queer, you know. A lot of our clients are. The bass player? What on earth would he see in the bass player? I know, right? He chatted with him whenever he got the chance, and there was I standing alone by the dance floor, sipping my gin and tonic, while he was nattering on and on with the bass player. He barely spoke three words to me all night. I ain't allowed to dance with other blokes when I'm with a client. It was the most boring night of my life. What were they talking about? Ha! Huh. Holiday camps. Do you believe it? They spent all night talking about Bunny's holiday camp. Turns out, the bass player had been working there before getting the gig at the nightclub. And Johnty were really interested in this for some reason. He kept staring at the bass player with large, admiring eyes. Don't know what he saw in him. He was a very ordinary-looking bloke. I don't suppose you got his name. Whose name? The bass player's. What do you want to know his name for? Here, what are you playing at? Asking me about other clients. We ain't supposed to talk about them. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just making conversation. You'll get me into trouble, you will. I'm sorry. When you're struggling to come up with topics for conversation, the agency told me you should stick to the weather or food. Well, the weather's lousy as usual, so let's talk about the grub. Now, where's the menu? 
What are we having? Have you ever been to a holiday camp? Yes, once. Why do you ask? What happens at a holiday camp? Well, there's a swimming pool, and they have bicycles which you can rent. And they organise events such as dances and sing-alongs and beauty contests. Haven't you ever been to one? Me? <laughs> holiday camps were not in my milieu. Ooh, milieu. I suppose you went to the French Riviera. Actually, we didn't do anything. Posh people generally don't. They're too busy earning money. I suppose it must have been fun, a holiday camp. Well, I enjoyed it. To get away from the pressures of family life. To step out of society and mingle with the hoi polloi. To catch a glimpse of how the other half live and, who knows, maybe even find yourself a bit of rough to have fun with at nights. What are you talking about? I'm talking about Jonty Grove. What has he to do with it? Why don't you pick up the phone and book us a week at Bunny's holiday camp? A week? But what about our case? I have a feeling we might find Jonty there. In this episode of The Devil You Don't, the parts were played as follows. Felix Stone, David Alt. Joni, Andrea Richardson. Franklin J. Carruthers, Ivan Wilkinson. Miss Peacock, Laura Lay. Tanya Ridge. Madeline DaCosta, Catherine Siggers. Audio Mystery Theatre is free to listen to, but not free to make. If you want to show your appreciation, why not buy us a virtual cup of coffee? You can go to ko-fi.com slash audio mystery theatre, with theatre being spelt the British way, that is, with R-E at the end. Not only will you be able to make a modest donation towards the production of new AMT mysteries, but you will also find loads of background information about our current slate of dramas and sneak peeks at the upcoming ones. Do check it out. You can find the link in the show notes.